My name's um, Steve, Steve Chalk, and I'm the minister of the church. I'm the vicar, the priest, whatever you want to call it. And I'm the founder of the Oasis uh, Trust as well. It's wonderful to see you here uh, tonight. And tonight is that night that we've just sung about in that fantastic uh, song. It was brilliant to sing. The story of Christmas, of course, is the story about how God has a face. Do you know that throughout history, people have always pondered, they've always written about what God looks like. Societies throughout history have speculated. Tribes have always cognicated. Civilizations have deliberated over this great dilemma. And they've reached, through history, a variety of different conclusions. Artistic depictions of the gods, goddesses, and other divinities are woven throughout all history. You'll know many of them. God, in various depictions, as I'm sure you've seen in paintings and pictures through the years, wears wings sometimes. He breathes or she breathes fire sometimes, demands penitence, thunders, judges, divides, murders, destroys, convicts, condemns and rejects. That's lots of pictures of God, lots of people's pictures of God. He or she, and it sometimes is a she, is furious, vengeful, fickle, remote, genocidal, and has got a very short fuse, can be very easily upset with us mere mortals. Back in ancient Egypt, there are all sorts of notions about gods. You can read about them and goddesses. And they're well illustrated on two malls. A few years ago, I had the chance of going to Egypt and was given a tour of the Valley of the Kings. And I saw these pictures on the walls. Pictures of the gods breathing fire and anger. Similarly, you can go to Rome and walk through the cities of the old Roman Empire and see their temples still and the streets and the homes, not just Rome, but of course Greece and Mesopotamia as well. And you can see that these are filled with visual reminders of what they were trying to imagine that the gods might look like. Gods, I just did a little kind of sum up of pictures I've seen of God and I looked through, I googled actually. God's been depicted as a golden calf, an elephant, a serpent, a bull, a warrior, a bird, a scorpion, a frog, a ram, a lion, a cobra, a crocodile and a hippopotamus, to name but a few. And I didn't Google for very long. Babi was an ancient uh, Egyptian god, goddess. She was a baboon, depicted as a baboon. She was depicted as a boom because she was sexually rampant and aggressive and demanded that of all her mates. Bast was another goddess, a lioness, the goddess of fertility who would devour those who refused her. Lots of us have heard of Upsila, well, some of us, the goddess of Babylon, who hated her sons and her daughters, and in the end, they murdered her. In Greek and Roman mythology, uh, Sibelia, 
was worshipped as the great mother god of all the earth who kept all others in submission. And if you think that's all kind of ancient and rather stupid and we're a lot smarter now, we still do it, you know. We depict God as a white-haired old man, a stern judge with a stick in his hand and a furious frown that we're scared of. The other week I was watching an old film that somebody gave me, a friend of mine called Mark gave me. It's called Dogma. It was made, it's a great comedy. It's a um, American comedy, Hollywood comedy. It was made in 1999. And uh, in it, uh, in the final scene, Dogma reveals who God is. And it turns out to be Alanis Morissette. <laughs> the Romans, I don't know if you know this, the Romans, uh, the Romans were the one who un- ones who universalized the seven-day week. Do you know that some cultures had an eight-day week and some cultures had a seven-day week? So it was very confusing traveling the world. You never knew where you are and which day you were there on. But when the Romans created their giant empire, they, dis- they decided that universally there should be a seven-day week everywhere. It just made business a lot easier and conquering countries if everybody knew when you were coming. And uh, they decided to call each day of the week by a name of one of their gods. And then as the, um, the Roman uh, Empire declined and the Germanic people groups took, up, t- took over Europe, what uh, the Germanic people groups did is they took away, they kept the seven-day week, as you know, we still got it, this is a Sunday. They took away the names of the Roman gods for the most part. They kept just one, actually, which I'll tell you about in a moment. And they replaced them all with their own names. So, today is Sunday. And that's uh, named after an Egyptian god. The god was originally called Ra, the Egyptian god of the sun. Angry, burning people up, refusing to shine if you disobeyed him and allow your crops to grow. And that's why we're left with uh, Sunday. We got a Sunday. But Monday um, is also named after a god. Did you know that? It's, um, it's, uh, it's an Anglo-Saxon god, uh, Monege. And the Anglo-Saxon god, Monege, she was the moon god. And she was the goddess of control. If you didn't do what she said, the tides wouldn't flow. The world would get messed up. And Tuesday um, is the first to be named after a Germanic god who was, incidentally, called Chu. (laughs) Fair enough. And Chu was the goddess of war and the goddess of the sky. Wednesday is Woden's Day, who was an old Norse god. So every time we get to a Wednesday, we're remembering the Norse god. And the name, uh, uh, Woden was the god of commerce. This kind of works for all civil servants here. The god of commerce. And uh, actually, if you translate Woden directly into English, it means literally violently insane headship. (laughs) Which is basically what happens still in our country a lot of the time, isn't it? Not exactly... Um, and a loving God. Thursday, Thursday, Thor's day. The God Thor, who's still found in the films with his giant hammer to smash everybody to smithereens. Friday is associated with Friar, 
who was the wife of Woden, the god of insane violence. She was married to him. They were an odd couple. And lastly, Saturday. Do you know our Saturday is the only day that retains a Roman name? That Saturday is derived, it's Saturn's day. And Saturn was the king of the Titans. You know, you can watch the Titan films. Saturn was the king of the Titans. And he led his brothers and sisters to slaughter his mother and father in battle and, resu- and take power. But it didn't last for long because their siblings, violence breeds violence, violence begets violence, their, siblings, their children rose up against them. Saturn, whose name is encapsulated in Saturday, Saturn and his siblings, the Titans, were overthrown by the Olympians, the 12 Olympians, who were headed by Zeus, Zeus, the god of fate and war. Ares, his brother, Aphrodite, their sister, the god of love, pleasure and beauty, the goddess of love, pleasure and beauty, Eros of sexual desire, Hades, the lord of death. Hanging around with gods has been a pretty scary business through the centuries. They're the kind of people to keep well out the way of if you possibly can. And like I say, you know, it's easy to think that in our enlightened times, it's all kind of different. We've given up all of that ancient mythology and those gods. We're kind of scientific and we get life. But the truth is, it is very different from that. There are lots of gods, I'd like you to think about it, on display in our society today, this afternoon, every day. And they're all vying for our worship and our adoration, just as all these primitive gods were vying for the adoration of their societies. Their names have been changed. They're more direct now. Instead of talking about the Aphrodite as the god, goddess of love and pleasure, or Eros of sexual desire, we've done away with the strange names, but we've kept our gods. They are money, sex, There's another god named Power. There's one called the market which we have to serve. It resides in the city right here. There's a god called Luxury in our society which we all worship. There's a god called Leisure. There's a god called Health. There's one called Beauty. And the god of all gods is Fame which most of our television watching on Saturday nights is based on. We still worship gods. Their names have changed, but their characters, I put to you, have stayed stubbornly the same. I ask you this question. Is not every one of those gods, money, sex, power, the market, luxury, leisure, health, beauty, fame, is not every single one of them self-centred? Is not every single one of those gods competitive? Do they not drive their adherents to be competitive with one another? Do they not demand of their adherents, their worshippers, that they become aggressive? Do those gods not push us to be judgmental of others, 
condemning of those who are different, excluding of those who don't match up, who don't look right, who don't fit in, who haven't made the grade, and callous and dismissive of everyone. It's been remarked by people a lot smarter than I am that in the end, we become like the gods we serve. Serve money long enough, serve fame long enough, and you become as fickle as those things, as shallow as those things. Serve luxury long enough, and you become dismissive of the needs of others because we've got to keep up with the Joneses even if we don't know the Joneses. It's just the way it goes. Dylan's poem was brilliant this evening, I thought. It was really fantastic. There's another Dylan, Bob Dylan, who uh, has just won a Nobel Peace Prize for his poetry through the years. Dylan, you look like you're on track to get there and beat the old man. Let me quote something from Bob Dylan. It's from an album he wrote called Slow Train Coming, and it's some lyrics of a poem set to music uh, where Dylan, Bob Dylan, simply said, you've got to serve someone. You may be an ambassador, he said. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you've got to serve someone. Oh, yeah, you've got to serve somebody. You might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a state trooper. You might be a young Turk. You may be the head of some big TV network. But you've got to serve someone. You've got to serve some God. You may be rich or poor. You may be blind or lame. You may be living in another country under another name. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You may be living in a mansion or you might live in a dome. You might own guns and you might even own tanks. You might be someone's landlord. You might even own banks. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barber shop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be someone's mistress. You could be someone's heir. Might like to wear cotton. Might to like like to wear silk, might like to drink whiskey, might like to drink milk. You might like to eat caviar, you might like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on the floor or maybe sleeping in a king-size bed, but you've got to serve someone. Oh yeah, you've got to serve someone. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you are gonna serve someone. In the end, we're shaped by our ambitions. We're shaped by our gods. Believing a story long enough and the story sticks to you and the story becomes you and the story controls you and you just got to look across that river of ours at some of the buildings you can see from this place and you see how it happens. Good people slowly corrupted by the values they serve. I'm not saying by any way uh, that that everybody who works in the city or works in Westminster is corrupted, but power corrupts and money needs to be worshipped by adherence. 
So we come to Christmas and the story we've been telling. It's easy to dismiss it as a fairy story. Don't do that. That's a giant mistake in life, I think. This is the most powerful story ever told, which is why we're here to sing about it again, which is why the world remembers this story. I'm partly Indian, and I was uh, telling people here this morning that across India, Christmas is known as the big day. It's celebrated in a Hindu culture across uh, that subcontinent by a billion people. Why? Because this story of Christmas is no fairy story. It encapsulates values that are different. It tells us that God does have a face. And he can be known. And he's not a scorpion and he's not a snake and he's not a lion. He doesn't devour. God has a face and it's the face of an infant. That's why one of the New Testament writers, you know the New Testament, the Bible has got books in. And one of the New Testament letters was written by a guy called Peter who was a philosopher and had also known uh, uh, Jesus Christ. And he takes some poetry that had been written by someone else and then he quotes it, this old poetry of Jesus and he says simply this, the stone that the builders, the builders of society he means, have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You've got to choose someone to worship. It might only be your own face, your own beauty, your own style, your own youth. Worship it. Or worship something else. Jesus calls us to worship him. Here's the thing. If you're looking for the all-powerful God, the boot-wearing, power-mongering, squash-buckling God, you're looking in the wrong place when you look into the life of Jesus and the eyes of Jesus and the face of Jesus. Jesus points us in another direction. For he's born as a tender baby. God on earth, a baby in an animal feeding trough. He comes with no power. He comes with no wealth. He comes with no fame. He comes to no security. He doesn't come to a palace. He's not attended by security guards. He's born as one of us. And he tells us, he points us to the way to go. Jesus' project is for turning the world upside down. It's for rehumanizing all of us who are human beings. It's for helping us to see things a different way, to serve a different way of life, to march into a different drum, to march in a different direction. The nativity expresses the core identity of Jesus. When you see Jesus, you see Jesus and we sing about him, as a baby laying in an animal feeding trough, a manger. This isn't some interruption to the way God is. It's not a step away for God from his true nature. It is God's true nature. God is love. God is gentle. And God invites, calls, beckons us to come with him and worship him, the true God seen in Jesus. In the humility of Jesus, we finally, all of us, see God's face. And encounter God as he really is. A God who shares our pain and isolation. Who struggles with temptations in the same way. When Jesus grew up he stood by the graveside of a friend who died called Lazarus. And he wept for his friend. 
He knows what it is to have your heart wrung. And he walks with us in all the struggles that you face. Christmas is a wonderful time, isn't it? Because it's all about poetry, actually. Not just the poems we listen to, but the songs we sing. It's all about poetry on a night like tonight with lovely lights and candles. But the rest of life is without candles and the lights go. And it's kind of ordinary. Waking up tomorrow morning is kind of ordinary. And worshipping Jesus isn't about the beautiful nights like this. It's about who I am tomorrow morning and how I deal with life tomorrow morning and how I use my talents or lack of them and my opportunities and my resources and have I become self-centred or will I live for others? In closing, you know, those magi, the wise men as we call them, those philosophers, they were very intelligent. They were philosophers from Persia. And they traveled. They were intelligent guys. Read all about Magi. We know a lot about who the Magi were. They were the intelligentsia of the Persian superstate. And they traveled for hundreds of miles to find this baby to see the face of God. We don't have to travel hundreds of miles geographically, but we have to travel hundreds of miles in our souls to come to a place where we come to serve rather than to be served. One people, one story, one hope, one journey to the crib of Jesus. It's a story for every day of my life. It's a story for every day of your life. Hang on to Jesus. Allow his star to guide you through your life. Thank you for listening to me.